You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So, uh, the title of, of our sermon this morning is, is simply Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Um, and this is, who, this is who he is. And so, I want to start off by, by asking you guys a, a question. And so as we talk about uh, these, these verses, I want to I wanna first make a, make a statement. So as, as we talk about, or I, I want to talk about, I'm sorry, having an eternal perspective um, in our life. And so this is a life that obviously brings to us many struggles with sin, uh, opposition, obstacles, uh, uh, suffering, pain, um, this world that we live in is a broken world. And this is a reality that, that we live in. And so the question that I want to ask you is that, what is your initial response in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of obstacles coming your way, or struggles with sins that you just can't seem to overcome? Is it an initial response of, of complaining? Is it you kind of just wallowing in your situation? Um, or is it one of trust and faith in God as our, as our sustainer? So I want to talk to us this morning about the reason why we continue to strive, the reason why we endure, the reason why we continue to persevere and run this race, continue to fight this faith. If I, if I uh, would, would desire to, for you guys to to have anything that grips your heart after this morning, it would be this. That endurance in the Christian journey of faith, fraught with constant battle with sin, is birthed from an eternal perspective of Christ's passion and also our purpose in Christ. And so endurance in this journey can only come from an eternal perspective of Christ's passion that we'll get into this morning, and also our purpose in Christ. And so we'll be uh, going through three points here. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is looking back. Point number two is looking forward. And point number three is looking up. And so to give you some context of, this, of these two verses first, it's, it's, it's necessary that we go back to Hebrews 11. Why? Because we see this word, therefore. And of course... Many of you guys have probably heard it many times, but if you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, why is it therefore, right? So this is the reason why we're going back to Hebrews 11, and I'm going to read a brief summary for you. It'll take me a minute or two of, of Hebrews 11 so that we can get a greater kind of picture of where the writer of Hebrews is going in these two verses, first two verses in chapter 12. And so I'll, I'll start now. Faith is the assurance of things Hope for the conviction of things not seen. By faith, the people of old received their commendation. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what's seen was not made out of things that are visible. Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain to God. Enoch was taken up to the heaven without tasting death because God was pleased with him. Noah constructed the ark and warned the world of the coming flood. Abraham obeyed and left his homeland to a place unknown to him. Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past her age. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but greeting them from afar, acknowledging there were strangers and exiles on earth. Abraham offered Isaac. Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, when Joseph, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph while bowing, bowing in worship. Joseph, at the end of his life, by faith, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Moses was hidden for three months by his parents out of love and without fear of the king's edict. Moses refused to be called a son of Pharaoh, a son of Pharaoh's daughter, I'm sorry, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He left Egypt not being afraid of the king's anger. He kept the Passover, sprinkling the blood on the doorpost. The people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho fell down. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies and time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And all of these, Hebrews 11 says, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead from resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains and imprisonment, stoned into, I mean, uh, stoned and sawed into, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then he ends this by saying, of whom the world was not worthy. And the people spoken of in Hebrews 11 make up this cloud of witnesses in verse 1 of chapter 12. We could also include every other saint after these, this cloud, every other saint that has gone on to be with the Lord, that has finished their race, that has fought the good fight. Every other saint in the Bible not mentioned in this list. They weren't superheroes, right? We, we, we can look at these men and though they did great things, they had great faith in God. They weren't superheroes. These were normal people just like us. And, and this will be crucial in our understanding of, of this text when we, as we dig deeper into it. The word witness here is not meaning uh, martyr, right? I, I know Jesus uh, in the Gospels uh, talks about us being witnesses and that means martyr. But here he's, he's referring more so to, to being witnesses of this faith. So in the sense that faith was sufficiently proved by their testimony. And so we see them as this cloud of witnesses in the context of, of faith. Right? And so the, the author of Hebrews at the beginning of chapter 11 talks about what this faith is. And it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have this cloud of witnesses that have witnessed the faithfulness of God to them and what they were able to accomplish, not because they were perfect or they were, like I said, superheroes of the Bible, but because God was faithful to them. And so 
we can see this and we can see that God's historic provision for these saints and for every believer in the past, present, and future, really, uh, His faithfulness and His provision for them, even in our imperfections, even in our disobedience and in our sin, is a source of encouragement as we pursue holiness, knowing that He is faithful. So the, the writer of this letter of, uh, uh, to the Hebrews gives us this retelling of God's story, of God's history in providing and, and coming through for his saints. And, and he, he, then he masterfully uses this to encourage the readers in this letter and by extension us to pursue holiness and to run this race of faith with endurance, which he expresses in the second part of this verse, and, and we'll jump to point number two, looking forward. And let me read that portion of Scripture. It says, uh, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so the writer of Hebrews uses a metaphor of a race. Right? And so picture uh, a race. Uh, anyone here ran a marathon before? Oh, there you go. We didn't have anyone in the first gathering. Yeah, um, I would think that the marathon runners would be here early because I consider them more athletic, I guess, or more disciplined. But yeah, I mean, imagine running a marathon. <laughs> imagine running a marathon and having weights all around your your waist, you know, on your feet. I mean, I mean that that would that would cause you to you know probably not finish the race, right, or, or, or not finish it successfully in the time that you wanted to. And so he's giving this illustration, this metaphor of a race, and he, 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 he says to, to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, every sin that, is, that, can be, uh, that can entangle us so easily, that we can be prone to fall into, so our weaknesses in our fight with sin. And he says that this weight and entanglement must be cast off in order to run this race with endurance. And this doesn't mean that we're sinless, right? but it means that we have made sure to attack our sin in such a way that it does not hold us back or down from pursuing everything God has called us to be as His people, and, and maybe even specific calls that He has placed on us individually. There, there are gifts and talents and abilities God has placed in each and every one of us for the edification of His body so if you're a member here at Sojourn, for the edification of, of Sojourn Montrose and the expansion of his kingdom. But our, our sins, if we are so entangled by them, will, will make us inactive, right? Useless in the fight, uh, in this race, in this, uh, this great commission that he's called us to, to expand his kingdom, to, to share this gospel, to make disciples, will be inactive, will be ineffective. And so he calls us to this, and, and I strongly believe that it's essential in looking back at these witnesses and looking back at previous saints, and it's, it's necessary that we, that we realize and that we, 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 we remember that these men were sinners as well, just like us. And, and many times, and many, unfortunately, uh, 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 some of you that maybe grew up in church, maybe were taught right? Like the heroes of the Bible, you know, Noah and Abraham and David and all these men that did great things indeed, but they were sinners just like us. And, 
And so the only hero of the Bible has always been Jesus. And so we, we, we can look at specific examples, and I'll share two with you. Let's talk about Abraham. Paul in Romans says that he was counted righteous because of his faith in God's promise. Yet, yet if we go back to Genesis, we see Abraham was a liar and he was unfaithful. He doubted God's promise. Abraham in, in Genesis 20 we read that out of fear lied to Abimelech when he was entering the city with his wife, Sarah, and stated that, that, he was, that she was his sister and not his wife, out of fear that he would be killed and that his wife would be taken from him. So in that moment, what did, what did he do? He, he forgot that God had promised him right, that he would be a father of many nations, and he, and he began to look after his own self and lied. Right? He doubted God's promise. And we, when we could jump back into, into Genesis 16 and we see that Abraham and Sarah, doubting God's promise, once again, take matters into their own hands. And God had promised them, promised them a son of promise through which eventually, right, Jesus would come, the Savior would come, right? We know that. But God had promised them a child. And Sarah, being in, in old age, is like, you know what, Abraham, maybe this is what God meant because they began to doubt. Maybe you know, what if you, what if you laid with my servant and you had a child with her? Maybe that's what God meant. They began to make up their own plans, right, out of doubt. And what did Abraham do? Did he, did he stop and say, no, this is not what we should do? He's like, yeah, sure. He jumped right in. He, he sinned. He sinned before God. And yet in Romans, we see that Paul writes of Abraham being counted righteous because of his faith in God's promise. How do we reconcile those two? Right? We have another example, Noah, in, in, in Genesis as well. Genesis 6, he's called a righteous man. He's called blameless in his generation. Yeah, we know that, um, that after he, you know, he, he built this ark and he warned people of the, of the coming flood, something they'd never seen before, Scripture says. Right, remain faithful in that. But then afterwards, we see in Genesis six, it says that he loved wine. He he became a drunk, and there's a specific uh, uh, um, situation that that Genesis six talks about where he got he got so drunk that he laid uncovered in his tent. His sons in shame had to come in and cover him. Right, so we see that even men that that Scripture called righteous and blameless were still very much sinners, just like us. Right, time would fail, right? We, we can go on and on, talk about David's adultery and his murder, right? All of these things that he was, a, God, he was a, a man after God's own heart. Like, how do we reconcile that? Well, we reconcile that because the faith that they had, though imperfect, was in a perfect God. And so, and we, you know, we, we look at other places in Scripture. We look at the New Testament where Paul talks about God, this faithful God, like when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so this is what we look at when we look back at this cloud of witnesses. We're not, we're not looking at superheroes and we say, man, I just, I hope I can, I can reach, you know, their level of faith because, man, these guys were, they were like almost blameless, right? No, we look at sinners, people that fell into deep and, and dark sins, Yet God was faithful, 
And they had faith even when they, when they stumbled. They believed that God was a merciful, gracious God that could restore them. And this is ultimately what led David to write Psalm 50, right? The beautiful psalm of repentance of a man after God's own heart. God who looks on to the contrite, right, and the broken. And so we see this clearly when we look and we examine the lives of these men that were part of this cloud of witnesses. And we see that though they had great faith, they were still prone to fall into, into just very ungodly and gross sins, which should sober us up. And this is why it's important for us to not overlook sins, though they may appear small in our own life. And so the sins that are prone to entangle us the most start off entangling us subtly. Let me read 1 John 2, 15 through 17 for you. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Excuse me. The desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life sum up every kind of sin that could entangle us. And, and we know that, that sin governs our world, right? And <coughs> Excuse me. Sin governs our world, and it, and it permeates every factor that contributes to our world's value system. Our world is governed by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so as Christians, as, 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 as people who want to be missional, right, people who don't retreat from our culture, right, but want to engage our culture, engage Montrose as Sojourn Montrose wants to do, we want to engage our city, it's important for us to be on guard, to watch our life and doctrine closely as Paul charged Titus. As we seek to be missionaries in our neighborhoods, man, we, we have to be on guard that the sins that we're, we're, we're witnessing with the people we're striving to truly love and build deep friendships with, share this gospel of grace to them that we don't be in, that we're not entangled in the sins of our culture. And so let me, let me, ask, let me ask us a, a very, very specific questions. As, as Sojourn Montrose here, what is the sin in your heart or in the culture of Montrose that, that you're prone to be entangled by? Is it lust? Is it idolatry of comfort, financial security, finding your identity where you live? as many people in Montrose do? Which places you frequent? Self-righteousness, maybe against non-Christians, or maybe more and more relevant, against Christians that don't agree with what you're doing. So we write them off as just traditional or legalistic, or, and we look down on them. They're not doing real gospel work like we are. right? That self-righteousness that can invade a young, like, heart that is indeed passionate and zealous for God's work? Is it pride in possessions or the lack thereof 
a, a subtle poverty theology that you feel better than others because you've sold all your belongings and you're living in a, in a little studio apartment in Montrose. I mean, you're really on mission. Man, you, 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 if everyone just understood the way you do God's mission, then, then it, you know, things would, would go better. Man, people would be made into disciples faster. And this, if they just did it like you, if they, if they put all their cards in like you, and that subtle self-righteousness, man, is so, so subtle. So it can creep in so easily without us realizing. Man, I know the list can go on. Successful career, a degree, a relationship. And not to say that material possessions or a career are, are wrong or sinful, but if they, if they become a priority above Christ in your life and above what Christ is calling you to, then they become idols. And Christ calls us to disentangle ourselves of these things by the power of his spirit and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says this right after he talks about disentangling ourselves and casting off the weights of sin. The purpose of killing sin in our life is so that we might run our race with endurance. Other translations say patience, run with patience. And sin is our great deterrent to this. It makes us more susceptible to doubt, to despair, to giving up in the face of adversity. Calls us to run with endurance. But if we're honest with ourselves, we, we fail at this. We, we can even look back, and even whether it be in our past, as a, as a Christian, our present, and we can see lapses of faith in our walk. We can see times when We've gone through seasons of drought, of despair, of darkness. And, and, and we look back and say, how do, I, how do I run with endurance in those moments? Like, how, how can I still be running with perseverance when I feel like I'm holding on by a thread? And this is where this reality of us having faith, imperfect faith in a perfect God, comes into play, recognizing that though you may feel weary, wounded, like you're barely, barely making it by, and Christ has you in his firm grip and won't let you go if you are a believer in him. And this, this is what encourages, this is what strengthens you to continue. Even in all of your asking questions and, and, and even calling out to God, asking him what's going on. Why is this happening to me? You can, you, can, you can be assured that he is not scared by your questions. He is not scared by your doubts. He wants you to come to him with all of these things, lay them before him. And in those dark moments, that is what it looks like to run with endurance. There are times when we will doubt or have doubted in the past. There will be times when we're weak, weary, feeble. And as I said, we've all either gone through it, or if you're a new believer, 
that you will go through it. God will put you through a time of, of refinement. Ultimately, we need a faithful and a patient God to, to assure us that in the midst of these lapses of faith that we experience, he will remain faithful. And this is where Jesus steps in. This is where Jesus steps in. With that, we move to our third point, looking up. Let me read that portion of Scripture for you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. After having given a beautiful retelling of the saints and this cloud of witnesses in the past who may, uh, and charging the Hebrews with laying aside the sins that easily entangle them, he points to the perfect witness. He points to the perfect witness as the ultimate source of our encouragement to run with endurance. As we mentioned earlier, the cloud of witnesses was not free from doubt, despair, and sin, but rather they were counted faithful because of the faithful God that they trusted in. And even in the Old Testament, these saints trusted in this coming Messiah, and so their, their trust and their hope was in the future coming Messiah that would come and make all things new. And, and in this day, we look back at this Christ, we look back at this Jesus, right, as the one who's already come and, and has given us the power through the Spirit to walk in newness of life. So whether it be before Christ came or after, it's all focused and centered on this Jesus. He is the founder and the perfecter of this faith. Jesus endured with joy so that we could run with endurance joyfully. We have a Savior who not only delivered perfectly on His promise to redeem for Himself a people, but who did this with pure joy, brothers. He endured the cross. He endured, and on the cross, the weight of wrath that sinners like you and I deserve was poured on Him, and He joyfully drank every last drop of that wrath that sinners like you and I deserve. Brothers, and, and it says here that he did it for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That joy was to reconcile back to himself the lost children of God. Brothers, he went through the darkest, darkest, <laughs> most painful suffering and effects of sin so that we could be able to walk through our dark seasons, our sufferings, our pains, knowing that Jesus has gone before us and he is our sympathetic high priest so he can empathize with our hurt, with our pain, with our struggle. Though he was without sin, he was in every way tempted. That he, he overcame. And so he's not, he's not a God that has not experienced pain, but rather the God that experienced the deepest form of pain and yet endured with joy. We have in Jesus the highest proof that faith can conquer pain, shame, opposition, persecution, and even death. And, and what a blessing it is to have this cloud of witnesses to look back upon and see God's faithfulness to them and his provision to them as we're running. I, I mean, I, I have like this picture in my mind of running this race and running this 
marathon, right? With this cloud that has already finished and they finished successfully because of the faithfulness of God. And Christ is with me as I'm running. And at the end, at the finish line, he started this faith and he will finish it. He will perfect it. So Jesus, when all is said and done, is our eternal perspective. When we look at him, when we look at his passion for the joy that was set before him, enduring and having this passion to bring together for himself a people, to reconcile them back to the Father, this passion that gripped him. And then what he calls us to do in response to that, which is not just faith in him, but the Great Commission, right? To go and make disciples. Teach him everything Christ has taught us and continue to do this until the whole world right, hears of this, this grace that Christ has, has won for us. And so this eternal perspective is, is Christ and his purpose for coming and then our purpose for continuing the work that he started. And when we, when he, when we came to faith, he didn't teleport us up into heaven, but rather he left us here to continue this gospel ministry, to reach to these lost souls, these lost sons and daughters of God. We find that our struggle with sin and our acquaintance with suffering in this life is placed in its proper perspective when we look to this founder and perfecter of our faith. And we endure to make Jesus look glorious before a watching world. We persevere because he went up to the cross with joy. And our purpose on this earth, as I stated, is to continue as disciples of Jesus to spread this gospel. Brothers and sisters, Jesus deserves the full reward for his suffering. And, and he will receive it. And we get to be a part of, of, of continuing to spread his kingdom while on this earth. And so as we look back at this cloud, as we look at God's faithfulness to them, as we look at past saints, read about you know, men that did great things for God, but that were weak and feeble. And then we look to Jesus, the, the, the one who endured with joy. We can look at our struggles with sin. And we can look at those sins that can, be, can so easily entangle us. We know each of us are weaknesses, but we can run with endurance knowing that the God in whom we've placed our faith in is faithful to, to finish the work that he started in us. But not only that, it's not just inwardly focused. Then we look out and say, and Jesus, Jesus did all of this for the joy that was set before him to bring people in to the fold, right? Let me be... Let me be a, 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 an instrument, an instrument to continue to see his lost children come back into the fold and to be reconciled to the Father. And so endurance, as I stated, in this journey in which we constantly battle with sin only comes with having this eternal perspective on what Jesus did, his passion this joy that he had and, and what he's called us to in response to that. And when we look at everything, even our struggles, with an eternal perspective, the more that God will fill us with this power to be able to overcome as our brothers and sisters in the past 
were able to do. I'm going to finish with uh, reading this, this beautiful portion of, 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 of a prayer of St. Patrick's breastplate that I, I just love, and it just, let me read it for you. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth, a friend and stranger. Bow your head and pray with me. Father, we, we are a, a weak people, Father. We are a feeble people. We are people who are prone to wander, that you remain faithful. And God, if, if you were willing and, and joyfully gave up your son, how much more will you not with him also graciously give us all things that we require, that we need? So we know we can come to you, Father, as we strive to, to run this race with endurance in our fight against sin. We know we can trust that you've gone before us, Lord. So help us, God. Give us an eternal perspective, God. Uh, stamp eternity on our eyeballs, Lord, as Jonathan Edwards stated. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.